We are in Hebrews chapter 13, reading from verse 10. These are the last words of the instructor to these Jews that are living around Jerusalem in the Judean area that are going to go through great persecution. And here's what he tells them. And remember, they're teetering on the point of going back into Judaism because the the pressure is getting so hard. And he says to them in verse 10, Hebrews 13, verse 10, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. He says, what we've got is so much better. He says, the priests are over there in Jerusalem, that city of Jerusalem, and they are serving and they are working in the tabernacle. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. I was recently in Israel working with a number of Orthodox Jews and I was, my heart went out to them. Because I was thinking, what I have in Christ, what I have in Yeshua, the Messiah, is so much greater than what you have. The life of the Messiah, the access to God that you guys don't even have. What we have is so much greater, so much greater than what they have. Then he goes on in verse 11, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. And so you can look in the Old Testament, you can see that when there was a sin sacrifice, they were to bring the bodies outside the camp, the bodies of those animals, when it was a, a sacrifice, when it was a sin sacrifice, and they were to, to, a sin offering, and they were to bring it outside the camp, and they were to burn the bodies of those animals outside the camp. Then it says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we do not have a lasting, for here we do not have a lasting city. But we are seeking the city which is to come. Very interesting. He says, that whole idea of burning the bodies outside the camp, that was to foretell what, hap- what was going to happen with the Messiah. He says, just as those bodies were brought out, he says, therefore, in verse 12, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. That sanctification means setting apart. Jesus suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp. Where is Jesus? He is still outside the camp. If you think that people have come against you and you've been all kind of beat up for the last four days, Jesus is still outside the camp. 2,000 years after his death, he's still not welcomed by his own people. But many of them vehemently hate him. It says he's still outside the camp. I was talking with a friend of mine this week. And this friend of mine has just been through a lot because a lot of people have brought false accusations against him, against him, and it's, and he's had to, to go through just so much. And I could encourage him with this. I said, it is for us to go outside the camp. Let's go out to him. Jesus is still outside the camp. You think you've been through a lot? He's still outside the camp. Tell me, how many times did you offer up your own body? For others. So those people who are coming against you, it's not like you gave your, your only child for them, is it? So no matter what you've done for them, it's not nearly as much as what God has done for us. It says that Jesus, that He might sanctify the people 
through His own blood. Sanctify means set apart. So that He would set us apart. He has set us apart outside the camp. We don't partake of their tabernacle. We've got something better that they don't have the right to eat from. What we've got is so much better in Christ. What we have in the Lord is so much better. He said, Jesus set us apart through His own suffering. He's outside the gate. We go out to Him. Just remember, when you feel that the world is coming against you for your Christian walk, for your Christian life, this is what it says. The Word of God says, go outside the camp to Jesus. He's still out there. You go be with Him. You go spend time with Him and you will be strengthened when you spend time with God. It is taking of this life and saying, I'm going to dedicate it to you. He says, therefore, you go outside the gate. So let us go outside the camp bearing His reproach. If you walk with Christ, you will bear His reproach. If you walk with Him, you have to carry His reproach. That means that the people who came against Him will sometimes come against you. Say, well, nobody's ever really come against me for my faith. Just wait. Just wait. It'll happen. If you're willing to testify of your faith and make it known, people will come against you. The community will come against you. And just remember, Jesus suffered outside the camp. He says, here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. They were longing to go back into Jerusalem, thinking that if they go back into Jerusalem under Judaism, they're going to be just fine. But he's warning them. Very soon, he says, there's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem, just as Jesus had prophesied. The writer of this book did not know the exact date. The writer of this book is writing in about 68 A.D., 67 A.D., somewhere around there. It was in 70 A.D. that Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. It was, it was in about 68 A.D. that, that the Romans surrounded Jerusalem and, and, uh, and, and uh, started the siege. So he's warning them about this. But it is a substituted life. I give my life for you. I want you to turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 20. This is the prescription for getting through. Because life, life can be really quite amazing. Remember what we talked about last week. Life can be this serpent that bites. And uh, if it doesn't bite every day, it'll, 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 uh, it'll, it, it will attack every week. Somehow, you will get depressed. And in verse 20 of Galatians chapter 2, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. We go outside the gate to our Lord. I have been crucified with Christ. You might think, you know, I I don't really like my life. I don't like the way it's going. I don't like the way I look. I don't like what I'm doing. Well, that's fine. That's why you've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about us. It's no longer about you. This is the substituted life in Christ. In Jesus, our life is substituted. I have been crucified with Christ. You don't like yourself? Fine. You've been crucified. You've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have to be here. I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God. It is the substituted life. There are some young people that struggle with so, depression, so much depression 
that I have to remind them, fine, it's not about you anymore. It's not about your comfort. You're not comfortable? Fine, just remember, you've been crucified. You live for Him. Now you live for Him. The reason why you live is not for yourself, but for Him. And then there's other college students that, no, it's not too bad. Life is pretty good. I'll give you 10 years. I'll give you 10 years. And wait until your marriage starts having trouble. Your kids start rebelling and you've got house payments and car payments and it's hard to keep up. And then all of a sudden you lose your job. Everything can change really, really quickly. Just remember, it's not about you. It's not about your comfort. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is not about me and my comfort anymore. The life which I'm living now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If we could learn to substitute our lives with His life, and I live for Him, it changes the whole dynamic on life. It changes our attitude. It's not about, oh, I wish I could wake up happy in the morning for once. It has nothing to do with my happiness. It's about Him, living for Him. Then it changes the whole perspective. Turn to John chapter 12. We're going to come back maybe to this Galatians chapter 2 passage, but turn to John chapter 12, verse 25, a familiar passage. John chapter 12, verse 25. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So you say, I don't like my life. I just maybe want to end it. Okay, perfect. You are the perfect candidate. Because he says, he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Now you no longer live for yourself. It's not about you. It's not about you anymore. It's about living for him. This life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God. We go outside the camp to Him and we bear His reproach. We don't bear our own reproach. It's not what people say against us that we have to bear. Jesus has borne that. We bear His reproach. The things that they came against Jesus for, we bear that. We go outside the camp. Do you see, it's no longer about my life. The Christian life is a substituted life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's the substituted life. And it changes everything in life. If everything was about me, getting what I want, one would think that rock stars, that the Hollywood community, would be the happiest community. Because they have lots of money, and everything is about themselves. It's all for me to make me happy. Everything I, I, I want, I can get. I can get the cars that I want. I can get the women that I want. I can get whatever I want. That's the Hollywood community. And they're miserable. I mean, you even talk to people from that community and they're constantly complaining about life. You know when they get married that there's no way the marriages are going to last even six months. If they were so happy, if, if it was all about me, they should be the happiest people. Because they have everything. They have accolades and all of this. They should be the happiest people. But they're obviously not the happiest people. If it's all about the way you look, 
the way I look, then they should be the happiest people because they're so stunning. They should be the happiest of all people. Why aren't they the happiest? Because it's not about us anymore. And when you live your life for yourself, you be miserable. He says, he who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. It's the substituted life in Christ. We go out to him and we bear his reproach. Everything is about Jesus. It's not about me anymore. It's not about us. It's about him. If we learn to substitute our life for his, and if you walk, wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm, I'm so depressed. Fine. It's not about you anymore. It has nothing to do with you anymore. It's about Jesus. The life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. The life which you now live in the flesh. And that's why we're not to take our life because that life that I'm living now in the flesh is not mine. It's his. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is the substituted life. We take Jesus' life upon us and we give him our own. Our life has been crucified with him. And when the pains in life hit and the discouragements in life hit, who is without pain? Who is without sorrow? I mean, life deals out amazing blows upon people. Amazing blows. I've seen young couples engaged, soon to be married, and one of the two gets run over by a car. It's like, God, why do you allow this to happen? Why does this happen? Why are these things happening? Why do all these pains come to good people? I have no idea, but it's not about me anymore. You want to have understanding in this? God doesn't always give us an explanation. Look over in, 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 uh, in, in Job. Look in, in uh, Job chapter 42. Job was dealt blows in life like none of us will ever experience. He lost all his 12 children in, in a single day. He lost all his riches the day before that. And uh, he lost his health. He lost everything. And he's crying out to God saying, God, you owe me an explanation. Explain it to me. Explain it to me why this pain has come upon the people that I love and upon me. Explain it to me. And God let him go on and on and on complaining. He was just complaining about all these things. You owe me an explanation. And God finally comes to him and doesn't give him any explanation. He just gives Job a picture of what God is and who God is and what he's like. Job, seeing who God is, that was enough. Job went on to say in, in Job chapter 42, reading from verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful to me, for me, which I did not know. So Job was saying, in all my complaining, I had no idea you were such a magnificent God. I had no idea. He says, things too wonderful for me, which I do not understand. Verse 4 of Job 42. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. 
I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. God gave him no explanation. If you want an explanation from God as to why good people go through pain, you're not going to get it. I'm not sure we can understand it. Because he saw a picture of God and it was enough. He says, I retract. I repent. I sit in dust and ashes. Think about it from God's perspective. Think about this for a moment. You want to grant people free will. All right, so you've got a world of people with free will because without free will, love is impossible. So you want to give them free will. At the same time, you want to bless people for seeking you as the promises of God are. You want to bless those who seek you. So you have to manage all of this. Blessings and, and, and free will upon people to decide. So for every one of these decisions, it changes the course of human history. And he's got to manage all of this. You know what a multi-dimensional problem this is? Think about that mathematically. For every one of those billions of people that makes a free will decision, it rocks the world in that little area. God's got to manage all of this. Who of us can understand that? Who of us can understand what God is doing and what he's up to? What do we know about these things? What do we know? There was one man in the Bible named Hezekiah. His death was proclaimed by God that you're going to die. He cried out to God and God said, okay, I'll extend your life. And God gave him another 15 years. Hezekiah had had a great, powerful life, done so many great things. That last 15 years was a disaster. All the good things that he had done in his life, he messed up in the last 15 years. We don't want any more than what God has prescribed for us. It is a substituted life that we live. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. If we would capture this, that it's no longer about us and our comfort. That's not what the world is about for the believer. It's not about me and my comfort. It's about me living for Him. And I'll tell you, when you have the substituted life, it is a fulfilled life. The substituted life is so fulfilled. Let's turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. And read on down. Hebrews chapter 13. So let's pick it up at verse 15. And we're carrying along the same thought. Verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 13. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, fruit of the lips that gives thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So what does he say? He says he just talked about that tabernacle. He just talked about the temple worship. They had to offer up all sorts of animal sacrifices. These people are out of the city now. That's not their city anymore. He says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. What do we offer up to God? A sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. What is our sacrifice that we offer up to him? It's no longer animal sacrifice. It is a sacrifice of praise. Remember, just think about this thought. If everything you have not given thanks for, you lose. Think about that. Your book bag, boom, it's gone. Your computer, boom. Oh, yeah, I forgot to give thanks for my computer. It's gone. My car, my car's gone. Where's my car? Well, you forgot to give thanks for it. 
Just think of all the things that you have. Give thanks. Give thanks to God. I I was in my mid-50s before I got my first brand new car. When when I was 40 years old, we we bought, as a family, our first new car, and Shireen always got the new car. And then after she just drove it into the ground, and the kids had just lived in it, and eaten in it, and slept in it for five years, it was full of of like, like lollipop things, and just sticky all over, then she would give me that car, we'd buy a new van, she'd get it, and I'd get this old trash truck. And I'd spend an entire day just, just fumigating this thing. <laughs> and, and that's what I would run. So when I got my first new car, still to this day, I sit in, 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 a, in a newer car, I'm like, Lord, thank you for this car. Lord, thank you for this car. And it is so good to have a car that's not breaking down all the time. You give thanks for the car and then it just changes your attitude toward life. You're thankful for these things. You'd be thankful for this. He says you offer up sacrifices of praise to God. Lord, thank you for my job. Sometimes I sit in my office and when I came to Rice, this was, this was in the, in the peak of the internet boom. And they, they decked out my office. They put me with a guy who got me all these things and I could order what I wanted and I got a, and uh, he had me choose the furniture that I wanted. I just chose the wood type that I wanted, and then he designed it. And so they custom made all the furniture out of out of uh, uh, red cherry. I mean, I, most professors have like a little metal desk that's rusting. And I sit in my office. I'm like, Lord, thank you for this office. God, I am so thankful for the office that I have. And you see how it changes my perspective on life. I mean, I can come in spitting and cry, oh, nobody cares about me. This place stinks. No, if I'm thankful, it changes my whole attitude. Lord, thank you that I have this office. Thank you that I have this job. Thank you for the people that I know. When we learn to give thanks, this is our sacrifice of praise. We're not sacrificing animals. You see how much better this is? We offer up a sacrifice of praise, but the sacrifice doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. What else is our sacrifice? Doing good works and sharing. Doing good works and sharing is a sacrifice to God. So, two weeks ago I was traveling in Israel and then I, then I got back and, and uh, last week I, I was at Georgia Tech. I spent in one day in, a, in the... Uh, at the university lecturing there, and then the next day doing all these Christian lectures. So I get into this environment, and I thought I was just going to do one thing. I had to do three radio programs and a, and, and a video thing for, for YouTube that's, that's going to be coming out. And just, I felt so wiped out. And when I travel, my work doesn't stop. And the emails just stacked up, and I fell three days behind in emails. And most people just end their career at that point. <laughs> I mean, if you're three days behind an email, you are judged terribly. You know, if, if, if you haven't answered an email in like three hours, people are like, I emailed you and you've never responded. Well, when did you, three hours ago. Oh, I'm sorry. I should be watching this in real time. And I was so far behind in so much stuff. But I read this, it's, you do good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And I said, Lord, this was a sacrifice for you. This was a sacrifice for you. And then the week before that, I was, I was in New York City. I did a three-hour video in the morning and then three-hour radio program in the afternoon. And I was just wiped out. 
And that's not my job. You know, my job is to teach chemistry. None of that had anything to do with chemistry. But that's a sacrifice to the Lord. And you know, I say, Lord, I offer this up to you. Pooh, the whole thing changes. When we say, Lord, I offer this up to you, the whole perspective changes. He says, you do good works and the whole perspective changes. That which is in life. Turn to Titus chapter 2. It's the book of Titus chapter 2. So a couple of books before Hebrews, you see Titus chapter 2. And uh, uh, verse 11. So Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. At least in the New American Standard, this is one sentence. It's an amazing sentence. Now, that has nothing to do with the Greek. I mean, it's not broken up in the same way, but it's an amazing sentence. You want to memorize one sentence from the Bible, you can memorize, Jesus wept. Or you can memorize this sentence. This sentence will take you a lot longer. He says, For, by gr- for the grace of God, Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Why did Jesus set us apart? To make us zealous for good deeds. That means I delight in doing good. He saved us to do good deeds. He does not save us by our good deeds. Salvation is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not our good deeds that get us to God. That he makes clear in Ephesians chapter 2. But here he says, he set us apart, he purified us to make us zealous for good deeds. You do good deeds, and this is a sacrifice to God. It is a sacrifice to God. And that's why when you do something good for somebody, you feel good about it. You know, even a crumb, you know, even by crumb, I mean, that's an old expression for a guy who's not a good guy. Even a bad person, when they, they, they do a good work, they feel good about it. You do something good. This is a sacrifice of praise to God. We are to learn to give thanks. It's not about me. It's not about my life anymore. Lord, thank you for what you've given me. You thank God for your family, for your life, for your friends. You say, well, I don't have many friends. Well, fine. Thank God for your, your, the room in your college. Do you have a bed? Do you have a bed? Thank God for it. A lot of people don't have a bed. When I was in college, I actually spent almost two years sleeping on the floor. And it's not because I couldn't afford a bed. It's because I didn't want to make the bed, so I slept in a sleeping bag. Shireen thinks this is totally disgusting. But anyway, anyway, that, that, that was the way I lived. Why, why bother making the bed every day? <laughs> and, and, uh, but be thankful for what you have. Be thankful for what God's given you. It, once you be thankful, it changes the whole perspective. It's not about me anymore. It is the substituted life. The Christian life is the substituted life. This life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live for Jesus. Boom! It takes all of my attention off of me and puts it on Him and it makes life a whole lot more enjoyable. So what do you want me to do, Lord? Do good works. Share and do good works and continually give thanks. Okay, I can do that. Share and do good works. This is what life is about. We are supposed to change in conforming to Him. And it takes our eyes off ourselves and life becomes a whole lot more enjoyable. The most miserable people are the ones who have 
everything and do everything for themselves. Mother Teresa never spent any time on the psychiatrist's couch saying, when is someone going to do something for me? You know, here I have been serving these poor and I'm really not happy about this. No. I mean, that woman just to the end of her life was giving out. And you just saw joy in her life. Contentment in her life. When we give of ourselves for others, serving God, it changes the dynamic of everything. If you take life for yourself and everything's about you, you'll be miserable. It's the exchange life. We go out to him outside the camp and bear his reproach. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the word of God, the truth of God, that it's about you and about your life and we are to live for you. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us to offer up a sacrifice of praise to you, learning to give you thanks for everything that you've given us, everything in our lives. And you've called us to do good works. You've called us to share. And you said these are sacrifices that are good. These are the sacrifices that you have for us to offer up thanks, to do good, and to share. Father, I pray that you would take these young people and teach them how to share about the faith of Jesus Christ because in that they will be fulfilled. That you would teach them to do good works because in that they will be fulfilled. And Lord, that you would teach them to give thanks and in that they will be fulfilled. Father, I pray that you would teach them about the substituted life that is no longer about they who live, but Christ who lives in them. And Father, for those here who have contemplated suicide, who have contemplated taking their own lives. Father, I pray that you would teach them that it's no longer about their comfort in their life, but they're to take this life which they live in the flesh and dedicate it to him who's given himself for them. Father, I pray that you teach these young people that if they love their lives, they will lose it. But those who lose their lives in this world, for Jesus, will keep it to life eternal. And in that they will be fulfilled. Father, impress this upon their hearts, I pray. And Lord, I know that there are people here who do not know you. And I pray, Lord, that you draw them forth. Some people here may know you, but have never learned to live the substituted life. Father, I pray that this day that they would change. That they would repent and say, Lord, forgive me for living for myself. Forgive me for that, Lord. Let me live for you. This life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, I pray for those who do not know you, who have no power over sin and death. Father, I pray that you draw them to Jesus, that this very day they would pray with me and say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Forgive me and come into my life. And Lord, I commit this day to you. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you for this day that we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has risen from the dead. Glory to God. Amen.